Welcome to New Life Church Sermons. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to connect more with us, go to newlifesl.church. Ezra chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. It says, And when the seventh month was come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man. Everybody say one man. As one man to Jerusalem. Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Jazadak, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, and builded the altar. Everyone say the altar. Of God, of the God of Israel, to offer burnt offerings thereon, and as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And they set the altar upon his bases, for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries, and they offered burnt offerings there on unto the Lord, even burnt offerings morning and evening. And uh, so, morning and evening. It's a daily occurrence here. And so, from this passage, I just want to kind of walk through something that I want to title Foundational Restoration. And so we're going to look at this, these passages that have to do with the rebuilding of Jerusalem and such and, uh, and just kind of work through it and um, apply the parallel to us today. Foundational Restoration. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, for your presence here today, your word that is about to go forth. It is forever settled And it will not return void. And I'm asking, Lord, that as the word goes forth tonight, that it would illuminate our heart and mind to hear and receive it. Let us, God, believe it and be transformed by it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Everybody say foundational restoration. We had a couple flip houses in Mississippi. Anybody want to know? First house costs that we got in Mississippi. Is that okay? Is that appropriate to say? I don't know. Am I sharing too much? TMI. We got it for $69,000. So it was still a wreck. But uh, we, yeah. Foundation was like that. That's, a, that's an issue down there. Everything's clay. It's Yazoo clay is what they called it. And uh, yeah. So uh, you can get houses cheap, but. It's a lot of work, which, you know, you can still get into them, you know, under 200000 once everything's invested. Uh, that's how it was then. I, I don't know what inflation's done to it, but I promise you it's not $1.2 million <laughs> for a fixer-upper in Mississippi. But anyway, uh, so we crack up about that. However, um, it's just the headache of trying to fix the foundation and once a foundation is messed up, you can fix it, but it's, it's just not the same and you know people that fix foundations like yeah we'll put a you know a 20 year warranty on this and we're like we got to do this again in 20 years you know like just so you know there's pros and cons to all of that but that was one of the things that had to be done in um uh repairing this house that had a lot of things that uh needed done um it was in that house that a squirrel got into our bonus room that was a I never knew before. had a lot of special memories for me. It's where I uh, began to learn some things about Jesus I never knew before. But a squirrel apparently wanted to get in on the prayer meeting. 
And uh, one day we come home from work and, you know, we had uh, painted the fireplace white. And then all of a sudden I come home and I see these black paw prints all over the fireplace. And I'm like, we don't have a dog. And that's not a dog. That looks like rodent prints. And rodents shouldn't be in the house. So and it just took a long time for it to all compute because there were prints everywhere. And I'm, I'm like, you know, what is happening? And then we hear it. Oh, God. I couldn't get it. We tried to get it. I, I tried to shoot it with an airsoft gun, something to get it out of this corner in the blanket. Because I'm not just about to reach my hand in there. I mean, I don't know. Do squirrels get rabies? They didn't teach you this stuff in college. And um, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't grow up in the country, so I don't, you know, I don't know. And uh, we, we, it was a great way to meet our neighbors because we said, hey, we got a squirrel in our house. Can you come help us catch it? This person we never met before came into our house and helped us get this squirrel out. And uh, so anyway, lots of good memories with that first house. Broken foundation, rodents living in there, and you know, it was fun. So anyway, the, the whole foundational restoration process is important. You don't want a house that sits like this. And in this passage that we're reading from, Ezra chapter 3, the whole book of Ezra and the whole book of Nehemiah address this subject. This story unfolds on the heels of 70 years of Babylonian captivity. And there was this acknowledgement at the end. And people began to realize the prophet Jeremiah prophesied this would only last for a certain amount of time. After the 70 years are fulfilled, we can go home. And so this acknowledgement of the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy was it's time to be fulfilled now, which is just so powerful to me that you can look at a prophecy and all of a sudden there are people that can see themselves in it and say, I know this was prophesied a long time ago and it's been being talked about for a long time, but I find myself in the age of the fulfillment and it's time to see this fulfilled now. That's what that's us. That's that's this group of people. That's the church of the living God today. There are some things that have been prophesied that you're living in the time of the fulfillment now. And so what we see is this element of prophecy has people who are willing to recognize it and work towards seeing its fulfillment. And so this fulfillment of uh, coming out of Babylonian captivity was the cry of let God's people return and come out of exile. And what we find beginning to take place in Ezra and continue to unfold in the book of Nehemiah is a return, a restoration, a revival. Nehemiah chapter 4 verses 1 through 3 says, But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth, he was angry, and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones? 
out of the heaps of the rubbish which were burned? Now, what's interesting about the name Sanballat is it means enemy in secret, enemy unrevealed, discreet, disguised, with aims and methods designed to elude. He's around, feel the effects of him, hear the intimidation of him, but you can't pinpoint him. An enemy in disguise, an enemy hiding, an enemy opposing nonetheless, but hard to pinpoint, hard to detect, hard to nail him down. And he, notice, anyone see a pattern in the enemy? He questions everything. Traces all the way back, Genesis 3, the serpent questioned the word of God. The enemy always makes questions because it creates doubt. Will these people be able to do this? Will they be able to revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? He questions their revival. You see, they're coming back out of captivity to rebuild and restore the temple of Jerusalem and the city of Jerusalem and the enemy seeks to oppose it and oppose the restoration and will they do it? Can they do it? Will it ever happen? He literally asked the question, will they revive the stones? Now, when I read this, it jumped out at me very, just right off the page. Will they revive the stones? Revive. That's the cousin of the word revival. Will the stones have revival? Will they revive the stones? What has been torn down and broken in what has been burned, will it be revived? And instantly my mind went to the letter that Peter writes to the church when he says, you are lively stones which are built up. You see, the enemy wanted to stop a natural revival of stones in the Old Testament. But rest assured, even in this hour, the enemy wants to stop a revival of spiritual stones which are the people of God. Each stone in the church of Jesus Christ is a person and we are lively stones that are a part of the building project which is the temple of God. God is not as interested in a brick and mortar temple anymore. He's interested in people which are lively stones and the more that come into the kingdom are all a part of the building project to make the habitation of God which is us. Which is why when we praise him he inhabits our praise and he's in the midst and the only reason why the presence of God would be in this building is because the people of God are in this building and worshiping and praying. You see, I didn't feel him at 6 p.m. I didn't really feel him at 7.10. But we started singing and we started worshiping. And all of a sudden, you began to feel something. Undeniable presence of the Lord just kind of creep in here, just kind of walk up in here. It, it felt almost as if Jesus just walked through the back door and just began to hang out with his people who he bought with his precious blood on the cross. He inhabited our praise. 
because you and I are stones, lively stones. And so this, this revival, he doesn't want you to have revival. He doesn't want the stones that have been burnt to be restored. He doesn't want the stones that have been torn down to be built back up. He doesn't want you to have revival. He doesn't want your family to have revival. He doesn't want this church to have revival. He doesn't. So he makes questions. And then he begins to lie to our mind to make us question. Will we ever see it? Jeremiah prophesied uh, a generation or so before. He prophesied that uh, Israel would go into captivity and then after 70 years they would come out of captivity. That's a long time. That's longer than any of us have been coming to this church. That is a long time. But yet, when a group of people realized this date was checked off and this thing was checked off and we're here, the 70 years are up, it's time to be restored. It's time to have this revival, this reviving of the people of God in the temple of God. It's time now. And so they work towards it, but you read this in Ezra and Nehemiah. The enemy was working. Israel's enemies were working from all sides, questioning, seeking to oppose, writing letters, ordinances. We got to stop this, sending it to the king, appealing to a higher power to stop God's people from seeing prophecy over them fulfilled. In other words, that's why we read in the, in the New Testament, we got a war for the prophecy. The prophecy was uttered. It is the will of God that it come to pass, but there is an enemy seeking to stop it. But there must be a people of God seeking to advance it. Because he doesn't want us to have revival, but it's prophesied that we will have revival. And as far as I'm concerned, we are already in revival and we're going to experience greater revival because we're lively stones. We're not perfect stones. We may be stones that have been burned by people or burned by fiery trials and tribulations, but I'm still capable of being part of the temple. I may have been torn down here and there, but I can be rebuilt because it is the will of God that the stones be rebuilt. So we got to remember who we are. We're lively stones, lively, living, alive alive, on fire, set on fire of the Spirit of God, made alive unto God through the Spirit of God to live this new life in Christ. That's who you are, and you're a stone, and you're a stone, and you're a stone. Every person in this room today is part of this building of God's holy habitation. And so what we have to understand is whatever sought to burn me out is not going to keep me from having revival. If it's promised to me, prophesied to me, and it's the will of God that I be revived, there is nothing back then that is going to stop me from experiencing what God has for me now. Whatever sought to tear me down, whether it was my own doing or a situation I went through, whatever it may be, it's whatever sought to tear me down is not going to keep me from being built back up. 
That's why when we see um, um, this in Hebrews talking about the assembly of ourselves together and so much the more and, and then edifying one another. And then it says so much the more as you see that day approaching. Talking about the day of the Lord, the return of Jesus. This edifying, that word means built up which means every time we come together in the house of God and we worship, it should help build us up. And when the word of God goes forth, for as Paul calls, uh, all scripture is given for reproof, rebuke, and edifying. And it can all happen in the same service. The word of God can beat you up and build you up all within 30 minutes and you leave. uh, It's like going to the chiropractor. But that's part of it, built up. So what that means is, is every time we gather together, we may have went through something earlier this week that sought to tear down the stone. But when I come together in God's holy habitation with other lively stones, the Spirit of God goes to work, and what was torn down in me earlier this week is now being edified or built back up. That's why it's important to be at church. The assembly of ourselves together is absolutely vital. And so this is all part of this revival. And this was the mindset of God's people in the Old Testament. Whatever was going to burn me out or tear me down is not going to stop me. That's what the mindset of God's people was in the Old Testament. How do we know? Nehemiah 4 verse 6. The enemies, you know, lying, opposing, questioning, all that. And then verse 6. So we built the wall. The enemy's questioning, can they build the wall? Can those stones that are burned be built back up into a wall? Verse 6. So we built the wall. The enemy's running his mouth, writing all these lying letters trying to stop us. We built the wall. We used stones that were burned. We used stones that were tore down. And we built the wall. And the wall was joined together unto the other half. And it explains why. For the people had a mind to work. We look at it and we, and we see earlier in, in Ezra chapter 3 verse 1. The people came to Jerusalem Gathered together, the Bible says, as one man. These are thousands of people that come into Jerusalem. And it says, as one man. What we see here then in this is that when people gather together and have a mind to work, what is is our work? Our work is to keep ourselves pure, from the defilement of this world, and if there is anything we have let into our life, whether it was a bad day, bad week, bad season, whatever it may be, it is our responsibility to take it to Jesus, get it under the blood, and keep our garments unspotted from this world, and then our other job is to advance the kingdom of God. It, it, Jesus told his disciples, occupy until I come. Occupy means you're kind of taking over your city. 
You're not hiding in the corner. You're, you're, you're taking over your city. There is a spiritual dominion and presence being established wherever the church of Jesus Christ is. Occupy till I come. But it's really hard to occupy till he comes if we're always preoccupied with everything else in this world. And so with that in mind then, when the people have a mind to work, we see that there is no enemy that can stop the job from getting done. When they make up their mind, we're going to do this, the enemy can't stop it. We're going to build. The enemy can't stop it. We're going to restore. We're going to have revival. It doesn't matter what question the enemy throws into your mind. It doesn't matter what he puts in our way to seek to oppose us as a church or you as an individual. If you have a mind and I have a mind that says we're going to see this happen and we're going to get the job done, it is going to happen in the name of Jesus. The enemy may not like it, but he cannot stop it. Somebody say amen. So we see this, but in Ezra 3 verse 1, as it says, the people gathered themselves together as one man. That's unity. Unity. And then it says they built the altar. The first thing they did was build the altar. Then they gathered at the altar and continually and consistently offered sacrifices to God, evening and morning. So we see here that as they go back to see this revival and restoration, there is unity, there is a building of the altar, and there's a restoration of the altar and worship. There's a restoration of the altar and worship. You follow the pattern. The altar, then worship. Because you can't worship without an altar. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Better translates as your spiritual worship. We cannot worship without an altar. So I want to talk about the altar call for a moment at, uh, in, in, in this context of us. Um, different backgrounds, different experiences, it is what it is. However, I want to say there is something to be said for coming to the altar according to just perhaps the language and, and, and uh, the culture of, of certain things. Uh, we don't have a physical altar that a, uh, a sacrifice is laid upon because uh, we are the sacrifice, okay? And so in one regard, technically, you can build an altar anywhere because an altar is anywhere you designate to put a sacrifice unto God. However, in this place, uh, and according to, you know, generally most Christian tradition, this area, if you will, would be uh, what we would designate as the altar area. Uh, now, you'd say, is it necessary for me to come to the front? Now, I'm talking about a, 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 um, uh, a cultural establishment, a foundational 
element that um, uh, we need to hear and consider tonight. There is something to be said for coming to the altar. Um, can God touch you right where you are? Absolutely. Man, you got enough faith. <laughs> it can happen right there. However, there is this just funny thing about people. We have a comfort zone that uh, does not make room for faith. Because every great man of God I've ever heard spell faith, they always spell it R-I-S-K. No one's ever had the heart to tell them that they're spelling faith wrong. <laughs> that was a joke. But um, they always spell faith R-I-S-K. Why? Because stepping out in faith causes us to depend more and more on God. The walls go down. The opinions uh, kind of just fade away, and there is this utter dependence on God. I, I, somebody um, one time here um, was visiting, and um, not really much of any Christian background at all, uh, or, or any religious background at all, they were visiting, and they were sitting in their pew, and uh, couldn't really tell if they were moved, impressed, let alone entertained. I'm like, at the very least, let us entertain you. You know, I would love Jesus to change your life, but if you're going to be here, at least I hope you enjoy it. That was another joke. And um, <laughs> I know I'm on fire tonight, two for two. Um, and uh, just, I was like, man, I don't know. And uh, they, they came down to the front because they were with somebody they knew. And, uh, you know, this person who was falling asleep 20 minutes before in the middle of my sermon, uh, which, you know, I've seen it before, so whatever. Uh, they're now weeping. Buckled over, weeping. And all this person did was come to the front. Intellectually, that doesn't make sense. Okay? It's the bottom line. It doesn't make sense to the natural mind. What would moving uh, eight pews forward to an open area in the front of a building, why would this person go from sleeping to weeping? It doesn't make sense, right, to the natural mind, to the intellectual. It doesn't make sense to the cynic or the skeptic, and it doesn't make sense uh, to the person who tries to calculate everything in their mind. It just doesn't make sense. I know. I get it. I understand. I was that person as a teenager, okay? I don't know how I ended up here, okay? Looking back over my life, see what all I've been through. I can truly say that I've been blessed. I have a testimony. That's why that person wrote that song. I look back, I was like, man, you know, I was going to college. I was going to become an attorney, and I know I'd be totally lost if I went down that path. Um, and, and all of that, and, and I'm just like, you know, God, at, at what point did I get this desire to know you? Like, it's this leading and drawing aspect of God that if you truly do love him and you have a heart, he'll find the parts of you that want him and draw you to him 
and he'll work out the rest and he'll deal with the mess and all of that as long as you stick with him. You got to stick with him. He's not going to leave you or forsake you, but you do have to give him your life. And, 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 and so looking at this, so, you know, I, I remember as a teenager, I'm like, why, you know, why is going to the front matter? I didn't. In one regard, like what, what's so special about this? It's not the fact that this is sacred ground because this carpet is different than that carpet. It is this, it's a demonstration and action and step of faith that, and, and generally the altar call happens at the end of the message. We have worshiped, the presence of God is here, the word of God has went forth, I have an ear to hear and a heart to receive, and I'm going to respond to the word, and I'm not just going to keep it up here, but I'm going to take five, ten minutes, go down to the front and internalize the word, and I'm going to pray about what I've just heard and let the spirit of God get the seed of the word deep in my spirit. And people that do that, they're just different. It's just the bottom line. It's this, it's, it has nothing to do with intellectualism. Faith is not intellectual. It didn't make sense for the woman with the issue of blood to crawl through the crowd and touch the hem of his garment. But guess what? What the doctor could not do, Jesus could do because of her faith. And so there's this element. I know it doesn't make sense, but this is the place that we have set aside to be an altar area. I have heard the word. I believe the word. Now I'm going to go and respond to the word and pray. I'm going to pray for myself, but if I feel good and like God doesn't want to deal with me about any of the word that has just went forth, I'm going to link up as a lively stone with my other brother or sister. I'm going to put my arm around them, or if I'm feeling real bold, I may put my hand on their head and pray for them because they need help. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. There, it's this altar aspect. What, what is so special about the altar? I'll tell you what it is. It's where the invisible and the visible connect. It's where the spiritual and the natural connect. And this is the place that we have set aside that this is the altar place in this building that if you want in in a demonstration of faith to connect with God take a step of faith come down and let's pray together in this altar area because yes even somebody doesn't even know who Jesus is somebody that has no idea what the book of Genesis is or what it means doesn't know anything about God probably can't even spell Jesus can sleep on a pew but come to a place where the people of God has, have designated this is the altar area. And he feels something he never felt before. My goodness, if somebody that doesn't know anything can have an encounter with God in the altar area, I think that the people of God, every time we gather, can make a moment where we're going to stop by the altar before we go out those doors, hear the word, receive the word, and let Jesus deal with me about the word in the altar because this is the place, this is the place where heaven touches earth. And so it's very important. It's very important that not just the individual come, but I believe it's very important that the family of God 
comes. There's strength in numbers. And sometimes some people are uh, just kind of insecure about coming to the front because they don't want anyone staring at them. Now, this is just practical stuff. Nobody wants to be stared at in church. That's why I stopped looking at people. I just kind of look at the brown walls and let the word of God go forth. And whoever it hits, it's all Jesus then because I'm not looking. I'm just, sometimes I pray with my, preach with my eyes closed when it gets, you know, real heavy. I'm like, oh, God, why'd you put that in my spirit? Close my eyes, shooting blind. No, I'm teasing. Yeah, see, <laughs> yeah, 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 it's like, whoo. Uh, sometimes people shoot back. That's why I'm saying I just close my eyes, you know. And, uh, uh, but uh, no, nobody wants to get stared at in church, but when the people of God come together in there, and I'm talking about cultural things, this foundational restoration, when we make this part of the culture, there's something, once again, there is just something in a church. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a new thing, okay? They didn't do this in the 70s. Of course, I wasn't in church in the 70s because I wasn't alive in the 70s. But uh, uh, I, I don't think this is the case. It, it seems to have just become a new thing in the past couple decades. But where during the worship part of a service, people just come to the front and they'll just worship and they'll just dance or walk around. or It's just kind of this freedom of we're just right now, we're just worshiping Jesus. and Whatever he wants to do, he'll do. And, and it's like this idea generally when people come to the front, they become less spectator and more participator. And churches that embrace that, there's just something different there. I've been to them. I've been a part of them. There's just something different there. Okay? There's just something deeper there. Why is that? Not because the act of coming to the front as singing is anything powerful. But what it does is it's, there, it's this deal. I'm going to get out of the pew. I'm going to go to the front and sing. And if somebody's willing to do that, they're going to be more engaged in praise and worship because they made the decision, I'm going to do this. And you're less comfortable. And so what I'm talking about today, these are not commandments, but these are things that have something to do with taking Uh, The spiritual experience and encounter of God to a deeper, more real level when we gather together. When it's time to pray, we pray in the altar. And if I feel good and I don't think Jesus wants to deal with me about the word anymore, which that's the first step, we got to let Jesus deal with us about the word. I mean, if we won't let him deal with us about the word, then there's nothing else that can be done. We got to let the word be done dealing with our heart. But if we feel like we're good, then it's time to look around for a moment. This person seems like they're dealing with something. I'm going to go pray for them. You have permission to do that, okay? I don't know if you needed that, but i just going to say, you have permission to do that. If you see, everyone should be praying for everyone. Lay hands on somebody. Put your arm around them. Comfort them. Strengthen them, okay? Now, if you start to do weird stuff, that's when we got to go in there and have a talk, but Just, anyway, so, so with that in mind, with that in mind, though, 
It's this idea of bearing one another's burdens. And as the body of Christ links up with one another, there is this flow of his spirit where he can minister to and through his body. But he can't do that without you and me because we're his body. So we've got to be willing to hear the word, respond to the word, let the word deal with this, and then help minister to others. That's why it's important. Everyone's needed. There's just something about coming to the front. Because this is the place, it's this, when I get there, I'm going to take this to God. It's, it's just this, something to it. And what's interesting about this, in this story, is then, Ezra 3, verses 1 through 3, and then in Ezra 3, verses 10 through 13, we talk about unity, building of the altar, and worship. And then we see, verse 10, and when the builders, everybody say the builders, laid the foundation. Everybody say the foundation. The foundation of the temple of the Lord. They set the priests in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise. Everybody say praise. To praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks. There it is again. Praise and thanksgiving go together. You're not going to find them separate in Scripture anywhere. Praising and giving thanks go together. Praising and giving thanks unto the Lord. Why? Because he's good. For his mercy endureth forever. And all the people, what's that say? Shouted. Some people are reading along. God bless you. And all the people shouted with a great shout. Not some of the people, not the preacher. It says all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord. Your praise is allowed to be loud. And so we see this, and why? Because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers were, who were ancient men I guess that means they were old, that had seen the first house. When the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, they wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy. So some are shouting, and some are weeping. Some are crying. Some are celebrating. The emotions are all over the place. That's when you know the praise is real good. What the Spirit of God is moving on somebody and they're weeping. The other person is grinning from ear to ear and just dancing. Why? Because when, when, when the praise kind of goes to the next level, it's going to affect everybody somehow, some way, because there is nothing like the presence of the Lord. Amen. Verse 13, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout, of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. I like how our services are heading. There's people in those apartment buildings are starting to hear more than just the guy with the mic. A couple weeks ago, I know we disturbed the peace somewhere. And that's okay. I want them to hear us afar off. I want them to hear joy, and I want them to hear weeping. Because they're going to be, I've never heard anything like that before. What's that? And they walk through those doors, and bam, the presence of God hits them. They feel something they never felt before. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And so we see here, as I'm beginning to wrap up, everyone say praise God. Yeah. 
At least you weren't super like uh, enthusiastic about that. That makes me feel good. If, they if you guys would have shouted at that, I would have just dropped the mic and walked out. I'd have been like, we're done. Now I'm teasing. But seriously. No. Um, so what we see here, though, is in this shouting, praising, celebration, all of these things we've covered, the altar, worship, and loud, joyful praise were all a part of the foundational restoration of God's people and God's house. It was a part of the core. It's what preceded everything else. That before the walls were built, before the temple was finished, before any of it was done, they gathered in unity, they built an altar, they gathered at the altar, then they began to lay the foundation and they praised him. That is how the restoration and revival of the temple of God in the city of Jerusalem began. The altar, praise, and worship. That's in the natural. And so it is in the spiritual. You see, this Bay Area needs revival. Revival. San Leandro needs revival. What I've learned is that there is rich history in this region. I had somebody tell me once, you're right in the area where there used to be very strong, thriving churches. They told me that. There was another person I went to this meeting, and they're like, oh, you're in San Leandro, praying for you. Revive the work. What are you talking about, you know? And, they, and, they, and this person said it to me like, like, like almost like good luck. That made me mad. I had somebody else once say, oh, you're in Egypt. That made me mad too. The madder I get, the more determined I am to have greater revival. Man, I don't quit easy. And if you tell me I can't, I'm going to say we can. And it's not just going to be me. It's going to be all of us. And so, man, I'm worked up tonight. I shouldn't have led worship. I got another hour in me. No. Anyway, but this Bay Area needs revival because there is rich history throughout this region. And so because of that, it needs restored. It needs revived. The burnt stones need restored. The torn down stones need rebuilt. We're not in a new territory. We're in an old territory that has a history, that has a prophecy, that has decades of prayer, that has a lineage that traces back for generations. And what I feel in the spirit is that the 70 years are ended and it is time to rebuild, to restore, and to have revival. What I've also come to learn is there are hundreds if not thousands of backsliders in this Bay Area. Stones that have been burned up and stones that have been torn down. But the time is now for the restoration. 
It is time now for there to be revival. Every stone that has fallen, every stone that has been burned, it is time for it to be involved in the revival. It is time for that loved one, that person to be rebuilt, to be restored. And they're all over the Bay Area. But if we could begin to go and begin to pray, and if the people in here could have a mind to work, I don't care what the enemy's saying. I don't care how it looks. I don't care how it feels. We have gathered into this place as one man, and we have a mind to work. So we built the wall. Oh, so we built the wall. Man. But this foundation of this revival that we are already in the beginning of, we're already in Jerusalem, we're already gathered together, it must be built upon the altar, a life of worship and praise. And what we've been experiencing lately, we just got to keep turning up the heat. Because some things that can't be explained or reasoned intellectually, they cannot be denied when they're experienced. Why would a man who was sleeping in the back pew start weeping when he comes to the front? Because he told me, I've never felt anything like that before. He'll never forget his experience. Never forget. We need more of that. We need more of that. There's an element that needs to be in the church. There's an element of God's spirit that you just can't explain. You know why? Because it's supernatural. That's why Paul says, you foolish Galatians, you think that what began in the spirit can be perfected in the flesh? What couldn't be explained in the beginning, you now think you can perfect it by explaining it? No, no. And so we see in this story the departure, this is a commentary, the departure of the returning exiles from Babylon took place in the spring. For some time after their arrival, they were occupied in the necessary work of rearing habitations to themselves amid the ruins of Jerusalem and its neighborhood. This preliminary work being completed they addressed themselves to rebuild the altar of burnt offering. As the seventh month of the sacred year was at hand, corresponding to the latter end of our September, when the Feast of Tabernacles fell to be observed, listen to this, they resolved to celebrate that religious festival just as if the temple had been fully restored. And this is being written at the beginning. They resolved to act and celebrate like the temple had already been fully restored when they were simply laying the foundation. They behaved in the beginning like it was already done. They acted at the foundation like the revival was already finished. That's why our altars need to be full. Everyone in the room, we can fill the altar. Let's act like it's already done. That's why our worship must be a lifestyle, 
not just something we participate in on Sunday, but it must be a daily occurrence, evening and morning. And that's why our praise must be a celebration full of joy. Why? Because those three things were involved in the rebuilding of a natural temple. And those three things are what need to be at the foundation of the restoration and revival that is about to take place. But we got to act and celebrate, worship, praise like it's already done. Because in God's mind it is. Because whatever he's purposed to happen, because he's purposed it, because he's declared it, it's going to happen. And so today... Why don't we just take a moment and why don't we just pray? And let's ask the Lord to seal this word in our heart and let us, every time we gather together, have a mind to work. And everything we do as a church, have a mind to work. The foundation will be laid. The temple will be built. The walls will be built. And we're going to see it all come to pass. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for your presence that is here tonight. Thank you for every person that is gathered here. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would begin to deal with the heart and mind of every hearer, that we would hear this word, receive it, respond to it, that we would be active in seeking to be more like you and to reach the world around us because we are part of building this temple, this holy habitation of God where each person is a lively stone. And I pray, oh God, that you would use every person, the ones who have been burned, the ones who have been torn down. I pray, God, that restoration would have its full work and take its full course through every person here so that every person in the Bay Area around us, oh God, would also experience it. And we thank you now for what is going to be fully completed in our future. And we act now, God, like it's already done because your word will not return void and whatever you have purposed and decreed will be established. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's praise him for a moment.